2: For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org
1: for thousands more.
2: and welcome to the Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. And before I introduce my next guest, I'm going to read a passage from his book. Just like you might pack a favorite sweater for a journey, I take my grill wherever I go. And for this book, I travel to Patagonia, to Paris, from Brazil to Berkeley, locating new ingredients, building fires, making meals that let fire work its timeless magic. All I need, all anyone needs for this primal pleasure is flame and
1: food. If you haven't guessed,
2: Francis Mauman.
1: Well, hi. How are you? Thank you so
2: much for being here.
1: Okay, thank you. (laughs) It's very nice being here. Very honored.
2: So right now in my hand, I have your latest book, On Fire, which is the the second book, the follow-up to Seven Fires. Argentinian cooking, or live fire cooking, um, is obviously what you focus on and was relevatory in new york only a few years ago uh be it you know doh you know department of health department of building regulations we weren't allowed to have that much but with this book what you've done is transport us in a way saying that you don't really need the biggest space the biggest fire to be able to actually participate in the kind of cooking you do tell me about this journey starting from argentina
1: well um you know, it has a lot to do with our roots in Argentina, the the gaucho, which are cowboys, the way they live. You know, they they wake up before dawn with a fire and a steak. They have lunch with a fire and a steak and dinner with fire and steak. So besides that, I, I, I'm quite uh, influenced as well by the native cooking of different parts of our country, the Andes with the Incas and their fires, in Patagonia, the mapuches, and how they cooked, and in, near the the forests in Brazil as well so but what I love about fire is you know the it's sort of a language of life, I think you know I think we we spend so much time sitting in chairs, and as you said, you know America has so many regulations and so afraid of fire, you know. And I understand it, you know, in a city, you know, and all the, all the horrible things we do to the air and the sky with, with smoke. But I think that <clears throat> the idea of a going outside and, and, and taking in your pocket a tiny fire and I sometimes take just a couple of eggs and, and an onion and a little salt in my pocket and, you know, and you can cook it on a stone, a, on a hot stone. So there's not much really that you need to, to cook nicely outside and to have a fire. And, and I love that idea, you know, sort of get out, get off your chair and, and go out.
2: Yeah, and then we're also taping this uh, um, with no specific time uh, or, you know, place in, in mind as far as, you know, when you can actually grill. Because I think we're past the summer season, you know, we're moving in the fall. And most people reserve that time of the year for grilling, mm-hmm. you know, as Americans call live fire cooking. Why should we be working with fire all year round, in the snow, in the, yeah. in, the, in the rain?
1: Well, you know, I think there there is this sort of idea that cooking with fire has to do with the summer and a beautiful day. And I think it has a lot to do with winter, you know. Uh, I love to be out in the rain. Uh, you may make yourself a little shelter for it. I love to cook in the snow. We do it a lot, you know. It's so, so romantic. And I I just did last year, I did a TV series of 10 shows of cooking in snowstorms, not only in the snow, but in the storm. Uh, So what I was trying to teach people is how to read the storm, how to get a little shelter, how to start your fire, obviously with no gasoline or anything, just with little sticks, little branches that sort of hang in the trees. And then the other thing is that it's there's this idea that cooking with fire is sort of a male thing, you know, and it's a rough thing. And 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 I I really, I really think and I believe that fire is an extremely tender thing and feminine, and very fragile, you know, because it can crack. You can crack a. a the way you're cooking something very fast if you are not really looking into it and you're not very aware of temperatures and wind and so on so it's it's a silent language it's a beautiful language and you know it's simple but you need quite a bit of knowledge and the only way to learn it the only way to learn it is to to practice you know so you know i think that maybe the first step is just to burn a big fire in your backyard on your own and sit in a chair and and see what happens as it burns down. You know, and you will see all the stages. You will see the flame, you will see the charcoals and then the ashes. And those three elements uh, we use a lot for cooking. We use the ashes, we use the coals and the flames. Who taught you first about fire?
0: Or
2: do you remember the first fire that you set and watched and sat there and had it convert into you know charcoal and ashes
1: well it was part of our lifestyle when we were kids in Patagonia you know we lived in a house that was ruled by fire we we had a chimneys we had hot water system to have a bath it was with a fire uh, and the cooking stove was with fire we had no propane or you know electricity we had but we didn't use it for all that So, as kids, you know, when the winter came, we we knew we had to, you know, sort of log the house up with four truckfuls of wood, and our job was to take it in wheelbarrows to the shed and, you know, classify it by sizes, because each fire needed a different size of wood, and we ordered them like that. So, we would, you know, spend our days, really, starting the fires of the house, and we would take turns for it, and so on, and then... We lived a lot outside. We walked a lot, a lot in the mountains as kids, and uh, I used to work as well as you know, sort of a companion to fly fishermen. So I would stay in the coast, uh, doing the fire and, and cooking the trouts for them when I was ten, eleven, twelve, and so you know, it's sort of something that's inside of me, and I only reached back into it when after I I became a chef, sort of an accomplished chef, and I wanted to run away from, you know, all my more fancy cooking.
2: Yeah, and let's talk about that hot French, you know, because when we talk about, you know, building a fire in the home and and cooking in that aspect, it seems very rustic, and you're not using the techniques that you might in a Michelin-starred, you know, restaurant in Europe, but at the same time, you do.
1: Yeah, Yeah, so, you know, French cooking is very rooted inside of me. Maybe you don't see it today in my recipes, but it it is hidden in every recipe I do, you know, because what France taught me, uh, I always say that France was extremely generous and rigorous with me in in my upcoming as a chef, and that's inside of me, and I I respect them a lot, I admire them a lot. Um, But... You know, doing simple food is one of the most difficult things because when you do food that's very complicated and has many things and many products on it, it's very easy to hide things or to get people confused. But when you have a you know a nice fish, piece of fish that is cooked in the plancha with olive oil and salt, well, you know, it has to be a great fish. It has to be very well cooked and the olive oil and the salt have to be splendid and um so i love that i love that simplicity and i think it's quite difficult to to achieve so you talk about simplicity you know uh
2: very unassuming ingredients elevated just by cooking techniques with this book you travel all around the world i mean you, to new york uh, i know yeah. you were here at roberta's for a couple of days working on this book at brooklyn bridge park um but you were also in, Bar- uh, in, in Paris. Uh, in Uruguay, all around the world.
1: Yeah. So yeah. What I did with this book is that I I, I, I went to places that I, I, I love that where my heart lies in, in a certain way. And you know, for example in Paris I, I cooked around the city with building fires in the streets for for, for about a month and i I constructed myself a leather, beautiful leather cart that I took from Argentina on wheels that i used to, I pushed around the markets and 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 the streets, and I would stop somewhere and cook and you know it took us a very long time to get the permits to do that <laughs> uh, but uh, what I wanted to do was make a tribute in that case to France and everything that they gave me, and I did a TV show about it so and I, I well as well went and knocked with no. It, not letting them know in advance at many of the three-star restaurants where i worked and i would just show up there with my cart and i would say hi my name is francis i worked here 30 years ago um, can i come in uh, do, you, do you want me to light a fire in your door and, and cook something for you guys? and no one
2: thought you were crazy just this guy pulling this chopper <laughs> yeah but Paris. you
1: know the production people said no we have to <laughs> let them know let's call them that you're coming and i said no i want to be an a, you know, sort of a hug by them or kicked out, you know, whatever they do. So it was fun. And then we went to Bolinas. We went to the north of Brazil where I have a restaurant in Trancoso. We went to Patagonia, to Uruguay. And so it's a bit about cooking with fires with and adapting those fires to different products around the world.
2: You have those products around the world, but let's talk about how portable yeah. grills are. Because you talk about roaming the streets of Paris, pulling what behind you? A chopper?
1: Or? Yeah, well, it was a cart that was about 400 pounds. It was quite heavy, but it had wheels, bicycle beat wheels I constructed especially for that trip. It was leather bound, and the cart was sort of rectangular, quite high, and it would open up into tables, and it had a fridge with ice inside, it has, had many, many hanging bags of leather for my shopping and for goods, and I had my casseroles, and I had inside there a portable chapa and grill and little hell that I could build up in a moment, uh, even a chair to sit down, you know, a, a sort of a stool that I would break down and keep it there. So, um, yes, I have, you know, all sort of things for traveling you know you can have a tiny I have it, some tiny chapas that are about you know one foot by half foot big that I just take with me in a backpack if I'm in the mountains and or a little grill that size where you can cook for four people and you know you just need some stones some dry wood and as you said you know as I said maybe you, you can take even the food in your pockets and cook you know chop your onion in your knee and do something delicious, and take your parsley and instead of a handkerchief in your jacket. <laughs> <laughs> you
2: know, we, we talk about these very <laughs> elemental things, and Seven Fires is based around literally seven different kinds of fires. Uh, you know, the chapa, you have the par- paria. paria. um Explain to me all the different fires that you have and how they treat food differently.
1: Well, a chapa is, you know, it's a cast iron or a very thick iron, a griddle that can be huge or small and when it's big what i like to have is to have a, a fire in one end of it and you have a very hot place to you know to cook a very fast a, a very thin steak of of lamb or of beef or of veal and then in the middle you can be roasting uh, smashed potatoes till they have a nice thick crust and then the other end which is sort of quite hot but not burning you can be doing pancakes or desserts so the beauty about a chapa is that with one little fire you have all these temperatures and you can have an array of different recipes going four or five at the same time in the different temperatures you have and that's lovely that's one then we do grill you know we know you guys know a lot about grill we we sort of grill differently because we have a fire on the side and a grill, and we move the charcoals, and we keep on feeding our grill with those charcoals during the cooking time. So I like that very much, and I love to cook very slow in, in a grill. Then you have rescoldo which is cooking vegetables or food covered with ashes and cold. So you, you sort of bury them in a bed of ashes and coals potatoes beets potatoes beets fennel whole puppings, huge or small
2: one of my favorite things is you say oranges in this book tell me a
1: little bit about that oh that's delicious that's a new thing Uh, yeah so what we do now is we burn a, a very good orange in a in sort of charcoal very red red hot charcoal and it burns in about i would say a minute so most of the, the cover of the orange, the, all the skin stays black. But then you break it up, and it has this incredible smoky, beautiful taste, and it's slightly warm. And I love that with fruits and fire, that you just burn them on one side, and they're still raw, but you have the char and the cold and the hot and all that. So that's a new thing, and it's lovely. And we we in this new book, On Fire... I I do a recipe which is a uh, a bread that is cooked in the charcoals. You know, sort of a very thin bread. Uh, but you need so in order for it to burn. Funny enough, the you have you need really red, red, very hot charcoal. If you put it in in charcoals that are not very red, it will burn. But if you put it on really hot, red heat charcoal, you can sort of flip it once and and it cooks very nicely and and the charcoals may stick for a moment, but then they, they they go away and then we serve it you know with olive oil and the burnt oranges, and you know i don 't know what else you can add it sounds amazing it 's delicious yeah i 'm yeah. incorporating and that into my diet yeah, immediately yeah. <laughs> um,
2: i 've been a fan of yours for a long time and actually built a wood fire oven a couple of years ago yeah. and with that wood fryer oven you often have a lot of coals that you know you can brush out and I've cooked in ashes before another wonderful recipe that you have is uh, taking those coals and just plunging it in pimenton oil.
1: Yes yes well um, the, 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 the the taste of burnt and of smoke and of coals is delicious so you know I, I, I do a pimenton oil and I put couple of really hot quebracho, which is our wood, uh, coals into it, and it, it really gives a beautiful flavor to the, to the olive oil with the pimentón. Yeah, I love that. It's delicious. Uh, so we're just talking about oven, which is
2: one of my favorite ways of cooking. That's the horno. The horno de barro, yeah. yes.
1: We like that. Cooking between two fires? Cooking t- that, That's called infiernillo, which in English would be little hell. <laughs> um, because you have a fire in the bottom, a fire in the top, and you cook in the middle. And we do a lot of salt crust fish there, uh, or other things. You know, like a whole pig if you do it really slowly. Um, and that comes a bit from the idea that the Incas used to cook in between two stones. You know, they used to do armadillos. There, uh, they would crush the armadillo with a stone, put some peanuts on them uh, like a milanesa, and then just cook it in between two hot stones. And that, that's lovely. Uh, and it's a beautiful technique. It's a very um, romantic technique. We did it in the streets yesterday in El in, in, in Buco, And I was sitting in a chair in the middle of a street with hundreds of people around me looking at the fires. And I thought, what a beauty this is. It, besides being delicious, you know, uh, every, every time people see a fire and see that you're cooking with fire... There's sort of a, uh, I don't know. There's a there's a language that just bonds you.
2: And subsequently, it was on Bond Street. So it was, it made yeah. That much more sense. <laughs> Two other kinds of fires: the asador.
1: Asador. The asador is cooking on a on a wooden cross or in a wooden or in an iron cross, and you do whole animals there. Um, you can do lamb, you can do goat, you can do you know um, deer, you can do cow and so basically it's a standing structure that slightly leans on the fire or, and then you cook very very slowly so I cook a lamb in 7 hours very slowly and you cook it mostly on one side I would say 80% of the time on the side of the bones you butterfly it and then when you touch the other side and it's slightly warm it's cooked and then you just turn it for a fast uh, crunch or you know
2: we're going to talk about time a little bit more because that's a very important thing when it comes to fire. And I kind of want to get your feelings on chimneys, you know, the things to start grills, whether or not that's the way to do it, or if you have to be a little more methodical and slower and really, you know, feed that fire with your love. Um, you know, there's also one more fire, and then we're going to take a quick break. Yeah. But the cold door.
1: Uh. The, cal- the, the caldero. Cal- yes. Caldero. Caldero, yeah. Caldero is, is a, basically a Dutch oven, and it's wonderful for frying or for cooking stews outside or for doing polenta on a fire um, and doing soups. You know, I love to do soups outside. And so maybe what we do is we first sort of burn some and cook some vegetables in the ashes for the taste of it, and then, with that we start a soup in all caldero, you know. And you get very beautiful ones in America. Mm-hmm. Um, I found, you know, you have from the last century, antique ones, uh, very big ones, and they're done freshly and new too. But uh, if you look online, you will find beautiful calderos.
2: Listen, with that, we're going to take a quick break and come back and actually talk about wood. Okay. You can't, you can't have fire without wood. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkell. We'll be right back. and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Terkel, here today with live fire cooking master Francis Melman. I, I, I rarely get to quote Billy Joel during my my uh, shows, but it's not really a direct quote, but, you know, when did you start the fire? It's kind of an iteration on one of the songs uh, for your Bond Street event the other day.
1: And we started at midnight. Uh, we We sort of hanged two big pigs of 300 pounds each. Uh, uh, we constructed with a welder that day uh, sort of an A-frame for them, and we hanged them for about 12 hours, uh, so they roasted very, very slowly.
2: Yeah, so how important is time? Before we start going in the wood, you want to foster that flame, that flavor. Yeah. You know, it, it's not a very quick cooking
1: no, you need patience for f- cooking with fires and I think that's the beauty of it, you know, pulling up a chair and looking your things cook and uh, and learn how, where and when to add wood depending on the wind, depending on how your beast looks when it's cooking and it's sort of, uh, you know, getting crispy. Uh, so there's a whole language there that you have to learn, and we can talk about it, and I can tell you many details, but the the true way of learning is to do it, you know, because uh, it's very nice, you know. I, I love to sit around my fires, and, and I can tell just by looking at them what's happening with them, you know. You know the wind change, so we change the position of of the food. Uh, we change the way the 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 place where the fire is we move it here we move it there because you know you're outside and things change a lot outside in 12 hours you know you can start with a beautiful sunny day and suddenly you're in the rain and suddenly you're in in the sun again you know that happens to us very often so you have to learn that and timing is very important Very
2: important. Yeah, we keep on talking about this this other element, wind, which um, when I built my wood fryer oven, it's behind a cottage across from a lake. I I didn't even think of wind at that point, but how important it is uh, and how much you actually have to watch out for it is fascinating. Because, you know, if it's whipping off that lake, I have to have that door like slightly ajar for anything not to, you know, smoke up like crazy. Yeah, yeah. But it's a whole other factor.
1: Yeah, wind is very important. At first, it's extremely dangerous because a change of wind can put a tree on fire, a bush on fire, you know, so you have to be very aware of that and be very careful with the environment. But um, wind as well, the the bad thing about grilling lo- things for a long time with wind is that the, the food gets sort of relaxes, the muscle relaxes with the heat and starts cooking, and then a cold wind comes and it goes you know, and it goes like that all the time. So, and you will probably have quite a tough meat if it's a very windy day. It's not very good for the meat, yeah, because of the change, the constant changes of temperature: hot, cold, hot, cold. They don't mm-hmm. like that.
2: That's Lee, why you built shelter in your snowstorm.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You, you don't want wind. Yeah, you want to protect yourself from the wind when you're grilling, and especially if you're grilling for a long time. You know. The beauty of our grilling for a long time is that the, 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 the muscle just sort of relaxes and, and gives up to love, just like a lady does, <laughs> or we do. Yeah. Uh, and so, but you know, imagine a lady if you throw a bucket of hot cold water to her every 10 seconds, she won't be too happy. <laughs> the meat either. They, yeah. Yeah.
2: Jack, you're going to appreciate this segue from ladies to wood. Let's talk about your wood. There was a very specific kind that you use in Argentina and love. What is that called?
1: It's called quebracho. It's a sort of a red wood from El Chaco, from north of our country, and it's a beautiful wood. It's hard as a rock. It doesn't almost make any flame, so it just burns and makes these huge uh, red coals that last forever. And for us, it's very important. the the ashes from the fires the days before. We always keep that because what we do is when we have all these beautiful coals, we make a bed of coals and we cover it with white ashes and that protects the heat and the coals for many hours. If you leave them in the air they will just burn out. But if you cover them with ashes, they stop burning. They remain red for many hours and then you start opening those little holes in your ashes get the heat out as you need it and it's a wonderful way to to use less wood and to to keep your heat
2: and it's also a living thing in that way because you have to take from your past fire to be able to control oh, yes. your yeah. you know next fire
1: yeah yeah well you know i in, in my chimneys at home i i sort of get my ashes once in a while through a sieve to take all the pieces of charcoal and really keep just remain with the white ashes and because they're beautiful for cooking even in the chimney you know
2: say we're in new york which we are right now and you don't have your famed wood of argentina what woods would you use here
1: well you know you can use a weber (coughs) to cook i i have adapted some webers where you know we can you can use a plancha on them ideally is to have two two of them one you use for burning wood and getting coals and then you shovel from there to the other one <clears throat> to keep replenishing uh, your your grilling, you know. And you can even hang things. I love hanging food, you know, chickens, um, ribeyes, um, lamb, you know, uh, uh, the, black, the back leg of a lamb, the gigot, and I cook like that, you know, Maybe for eight nine hours. It's very beautiful.
2: It, the pictures in this book are very beautiful as well because there's a couple of lamb legs just hanging over an open flame, kind of like yeah. pinatas or yeah. you know weeping willows. It's just it's just a stunning thing to see. Um, so I've written down a note that I have to buy a second grill because <laughs> I have a chimney right now, <coughs> and you've used chimneys before. I'm assuming
1: I use it all the time. Yeah. So they're time. a good thing. They're a good thing because you know you're heating your home. You're enjoying it, you're reading, and suddenly it's five and you say, well, I want to have a steak at eight or at five or at seven. And you put your grill on, you burn it a bit, and, you know, and you're going to do your steak there and the side you're going to do in the ashes, some vegetables. So you know, it can't get better than that.
2: Well, it does get better than that. Let's talk about some recipes. And we all know chimichurri. Yeah. But there's so much more to this book. I, I saw you grilling each ricotta I saw you griddling pears with prosciutto. What are some of your favorite recipes from this book, and have they been in your repertoire for years?
1: Yeah, well, the new ones, there's a there's a very nice uh, salmuera of oranges that I like. Uh, that's very good for chicken and for meat, which is it has nothing to do with the chimichurri, but sort of an olive oil sauce that I, I really like. Um, then I love, obviously, that we talked about the oranges and the, the bread and the coals then um, there's some. There's a very classic recipe of of a sort of a ribeye steak with Metrotel butter that I, I like very very much. Uh, there's some very nice desserts. There's a pionono. They're all burnt afterwards. You know, sort of. Yeah. You make a cake, you fill it up, and then you burn it on the grill or in the plancha. Is that the
2: one with the strawberries and the dolce yeah, leche? Yeah, that's a
1: pionono, which yeah. is a it's a very classic thing in Argentina, and I just took it into the grill after to make to give it a little bit of, you know, taste.
2: And then, you know, there's chimichurri, but there's, on the other spectrum, dulce de leche. Tell dulce me, de leche, t- yeah. T- tell me about that, because it, it strikes a chord throughout the whole book.
1: Yeah, well, it's a love affair for us, dulce de leche, you know. It's very sweet. Many people don't understand it, or they find it a bit overwhelming in taste and in sugar. But we love it. We are raised on it, and it has a lot to do with the romance of our country. And so it's very present in our desserts, you know, and we have a, a creme caramel of dulce de leche. We have pancakes of dulce de leche. We have cakes. Uh, I don't know. We have so many things. Dulce de leche is very important in our culture.
2: So you're not all just about fire. You're a sweet guy, too.
1: I am. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so.
2: Absolutely. Uh, a couple more Recipes, I see a lot of interplay with potatoes. Yep. You know, you have almost like a galette where you do really thinly sliced potatoes and then uh, chicken on top of that yeah. and you it onto a plate. I mean, that, that's
1: a thing of beauty. That's very, and so delicious too, yeah. So what you do is, what I do is you get a double breast um, uh, of, of a chicken, and so you butterfly it so it's still attached, both of them, and you put a galette on top. On one of the sides, and the potato naturally it will stick to the to the chicken, and then you flip it and you cook it on that side until the potatoes are really crisp and crunchy, and then you flip it over and you finish it cooking, and you have this beautiful mix of crunch and potatoes a uh, stick to your breast of chicken and it 's very delicious, yeah, I, I like it, yeah
2: I thought that was a fascinating way way of cooking on a single side, which you do a couple more times, and one of the other really interesting one is the tuna charascuro, how do you say?
1: Tuna churrasco. Churrasco, yeah. Yeah, churrasco. Churrasco is a beautiful term in our culture. It's, you know, um, it, it started in the farms where they had these wood stove and wood oven uh, and cast iron cooking stoves. So, you know, It was maybe lunchtime, and everybody was having lunch, and suddenly, as happens a lot in the farms, a couple of unexpected guests show up, and there's no more food, and a churrasco is sort of doing on the stove, on the cast iron, with no pans or anything, straight on it, uh, uh, a not very thick steak, which usually it's done with rump, with quadril. And uh, so what I do in the book is do the same thing with a, with a, with a churrasco of tuna, uh, sort of burning it on both sides on a, on a cast iron grill very fast. Yeah. yeah. Delicious.
2: And one of my favorites, which I'm certainly trying soon, is the crusty rice.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. Well, that's, um, that's a, a recipe from Iran. Uh, when I was a young boy... Uh, Learning how to cook in Paris, I had this friend from Iran and he he one day, one Saturday, told me he, that he wanted me to learn how to choose rice. So he took me to a store where they had all the rices in bags and he learned me how to smell the rice and how to choose it and so on. And then he cooked for me this rice that you make very, very crunchy, very, you know, you really sort of char it slightly and you cook it with a with a with a piece of cloth on top of it it's very nice it's very delicious it's a very good garnish for love yeah <laughs>
2: well let's let's end with love too because obviously you love fire you yeah. love wood you love this subject so much what what can you say about it to make other people love it
1: well you know it's about taking time i think it's 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 about fire has to do with saying okay well, maybe today or this afternoon I'll stop and I take my children, my lover, my wife, my brother somewhere and I'll cook with fire, you know. And so it's about that. It's about stopping this life in where we live in, which is so crowded with so many things, with phones, with internets, with WhatsApp and Instagrams and whatever it is, and saying, well, hold on, I'm going to stop and I'm going to enjoy a, some fresh air and talk because I ultimately the only reason to eat nice things and to have a glass of wine is to have better conversations for me there's no other reason it has nothing to do with art it's just you know the pleasure of talking because food and wine enhances our thoughts it makes us more witty more acute and we say better things when we eat and drink. And I think that that's the most beautiful thing about eating and drinking.
2: Well, I agree. <laughs> and next yeah. time we'll do this around a fire. Okay. Thank you so that's much, Francis, okay. for being on The Eternal Flame. Francis Malman On Fire, in stores right now. Get this book. It's wonderful. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harling-Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers.